1: Good morning, church. Um, um, My name is Antrimika Knight. It is my pleasure to welcome you to River City this morning. Um, This morning is Family Sunday, so we'll be able to all worship together as well as listen to the message together as a family. Here at River City, we start every service by reading one of the Psalms. Today, our psalm will come from 111, and we read the ESV version. It says, starting at verse 1, Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness, righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nation. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All of his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a, have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And we bow our heads in prayer. Father God, thank you that your works are something that we can remember. Thank you for being holy in your name and your works Thank you for leaving guidance for us via the Bible, Father God. God, we want to take this time to thank you for not only just life and friendship, but most importantly, your love, Father God. Thank you for being above all we can imagine. Thank you for being everything we would ever need. Father God, if there's anyone that is visiting today or that is here Sunday after Sunday who, Father God, has struggled with believing that your works are wondrous, Father God, we j- touch and agree with them on today, Father God, that you will prove yourself as you are worthy, Father God. Thank you for all that you continue to do for us here at River City. We pray for our Smyrna community. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: For most of worship, um, I felt like the Lord was just kind of inviting me into this place of rest. and sitting there and I just naturally began to think about my brokenness and the feeling like there's this list of unsurmountable things that I want to fix and that I want to do better in. And um, I was just asking the Lord to speak into that. And I was thinking of even wanting to We bought a house and wanting to redo our house and make it welcoming and purely hearted things, but were judgments on myself. And I asked the Lord to speak into that and to give me a picture of even what our house would look like or what does my heart look like? Because I felt like I was just feeling stuck. And I felt like the Lord gave me this picture and this reminder of the Garden of Eden and reminding me that when he made the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve, it was with divine communion that, that wasn't meant or intended to be broken. And when he looked at Adam and Eve, he saw purity and he saw them without blemish. And because of Jesus, he now looks at us the same way and says, I see you without blemish. I don't see the list of things that need to be fixed. I don't see the list of areas that could use improvement. I look at you like I designed and wanted to see Adam and Eve in the garden, and I see you without blemish. And this morning, there's an invitation for us to walk in full communion with the Lord. There is an invitation for us to literally be standing with God, our Father, and without shame and without condemnation, knowing that he is seeing us in our fullness and saying, I love you. And that is what the invitation is this morning, that you would know that you are seen without blemish, that you are seen without condemnation, and that you can read and connect with the Garden of Eden in a new way, saying that because of Jesus is now. Because Jesus came and died, we now know for certain that God, our daddy, looks at us with that same heart. And it's an invitation to come and abide with him. And so this morning, Lord, I just pray that there would just be a rushing wind of your rest, that we would know and could sit in this place that you see us so, so much different than we see ourselves. And the way that you see us is through the lens of your son, who is and lived a perfect life, that you see us without blemish and without stain, that this morning we have an opportunity to say yes to walking with you. Not just in salvation, but in life. In this moment today, we have an opportunity again and again and again to say yes to communing with you. To sitting and being still with our dad knowing you are not wanting to correct. You are not wanting to refine. You are wanting to just be with us like you just wanted to be with Adam and Eve. And so this morning, I ask, Lord, that there would just be a stillness that settles our spirits and our thoughts. That the rush of the world would be silenced. And we would find ourselves sitting in your presence. Aware of the fact that you are not just, we aren't just in your presence, but we are presently sitting with you. may we find deep pleasure, may our souls find deep pleasure in that. May that draw us into wholeness as a community. We invite you fully into this place and we respond by saying, yes. In Jesus' name.
2: Space update. Um, today is the day we needed to have a decision made for what we were going to do with our space. I'm going to be completely honest with all of you about our process. We have been praying and fasting for at least one month. We invited you into that. We talked about how we are empty cups to be filled in this process. We fasted six months ago at the beginning of this. We felt specifically that God said, It feels like it's about a space. It's actually not about a space. It's about a people. It's about who you are called to be, and it's about what you will be doing, where I put you. So our conversations and our thoughts began to look a little different and were formed a little differently in that we weren't going to put all of our eggs in finding the right space as much as we need to walk in our identity. We need the right people in the right places, and wherever we are, we're going to use that as a blessing. Does that make sense? So up until yesterday, we were going to stand up here and tell you, this is what you were going to hear. You were going to hear that We have decided to re-up our lease for another three years and we are gonna start plans to reformat the kid space because the reason we're even looking for space right now is because our kid space is not adequate for what we have. So our kids are in a tough spot. So we didn't foresee that we would get a two-month extension which we most likely have now, which is not something we anticipated, specifically working with, you heard what I said, but you know. So, because of that, and because I know that God is in a huge business of developing character through process and journey, we are not going to jump the gun on anything right now. We are not going to tell you exactly what we're doing. We are not going to quench that search that's in some of us that just wants to be done so we can move on. I'm talking 100% to myself. (laughs) I want, I already have plans laid out for things that might never happen, so Amen. But I believe God is saying to us, you fasted and you sought, and that is beautiful, and do that. But I'm calling you even deeper to a deeper place. Come away with me. So this is what we're going to do for another two months. We're going to go away with God. We're not going to rush the gun. We're not going to put any of our best plans together. We're going to give him space. We prayed. We fasted. We asked the Lord to move. He has given us a window we did not have. So we are putting it all back out on the table and saying, God, you're in control. In that process, we're not waiting for that answer because the answer is not God. God is God, and he's here today, right? He is our God, and he is with us. We will be still and know that you are God, and we will come away with you. And we will look for doors and walls, like Dr. Karen said, and not make our own doors and not build a ladder to get over. We will wait for you, Lord. Will you guys wait with me for this? Part of this in me is frustration because I like to do things, but part of me is so excited about what God can do. We did not have this option before, and look what he's done. He is in control. In the meantime, I would ask that you guys be vigilant about how to love well Katie Craig, who is texting right now. She's texting God. They have a... So here's my tension in this is the reason we need some of this stuff is to help Katie um, in the space. We don't have the space for kids. So here's a good way you could say I'm supporting. If you volunteered for kids' ministry, that would be a huge thing. If you decided you would do whatever you could to help love on Katie and our kids... The next season in our church will look like us pouring into the, that, those group of kids like we think the adults should be poured into. If we're not doing that, we shouldn't even be here. We should not even be a church if we can't bring the kids up the way that we should. So the way to do that now for the next two months in prayer and fasting is to figure out ways to love on her and the kids' team and support that ministry. If you want to serve once a month, that's just Jesus-ish. Let's just be Jesus. G- once a month, guys. A culture of serving, right? We're already pretty good at that, a culture of serving, but, but love her well, right? Katie, do you have anything you, could, you would ask us to help you with in the next month or two? Okay. She won't tell you either, all right? Find some way to bless her, right? All right. So, Sarah, is there anything you would add to that? Wise counsel whom I met with and prayed and worshiped together this morning, is there anything that I've missed that I should share? All right. Come, come with us, guys. It really isn't about a building. It's about how we're going to be used and strategically placed by God, right? Strategery, in the words of Will Ferrell, via George Bush. So, all right, so today, no meet and greet. I'm going to jump right in. Um, last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, I would highly recommend listening to Dr. Karen's message. I think it was exactly the message our church needed for exactly this season, And it can be found on our website, which Bill has already shared um, eloquently about. Let's pray real quick. Father, I look around this room, and there are just some very different kinds of people. We are on our way to being a diverse community. We are not there yet, but you have some diverse people in this room. And we say thank you for each of them. There's a story connected to each human. There's a past connected to each family. There are thoughts about ourselves and other people connected to each. But first and foremost, Jesus, you have said to us that you choose us and that we are your beloved. We know that to be true because of what you say in Scripture. It's what God the Father said to you in Mark chapter 1 and John chapter 3. We know that you were chosen and that you were beloved before you worked one thing. We are the same. We are your chosen and your beloved, and our worth is settled before anything is accomplished, before we are an all-star at this, or a vocalist at this, or a writer at this, or the boss or not the boss, before we have failed to do this well, in, came in third place, before we realized we really didn't know how to sing, Outside of all of that is this voice whispering, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. We must reclaim this truth personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you know anything about me, we don't preach topically through sermon series. That's not something we do. We've been preaching through the book of Mark for almost a year and then taking breaks periodically to preach through what we feel like God is speaking. We're very faithful with that, and I'll do that as soon as I think he's doing that. We're in one of those seasons right now, and for the next four weeks, we believe God has given us the scripture for the year, which the way that I would receive that if I were you isn't, I don't think you need to go get a tattoo of this scripture. I don't think anything like that. I just believe God is putting an emphasis on it, and he wants us as a community to chew on it longer than we would just a normal sermon. Does that make sense? So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking through passages that relate to the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's table, and specifically an image in prayer that I have been seeing over and over again is the picture of the Father sitting at a table like that, with his arms out like this, inviting. A little bit like the passage where they send people out into the streets to invite anyone to a banquet, please come, people don't want to come, well they won't come, we'll go to these people, anyone come. This is the picture I believe he has for you for this year. Is him standing right in front of you, and he has got his arms out, and he is inviting you to dine with him and to be with him. I believe that is for our church. And so I want to read to you Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30, and then we'll jump into some of this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink of it, new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then they had sung a hymn, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So a couple things really quickly about this um, there's four parts of this that we need to see. There's four parts at the table. And we're going to do this at the end of service for the next four months or four, four weeks. There's the choosing of the bread or taking of the bread. There's the blessing of the bread. There's the breaking of the bread. And there's the sending, right? So this is the process of the Lord's table. Takes the bread. Blesses the bread. Breaks the bread. Sends the bread, right? We see this to be true also in Jesus' life. Jesus is... Chosen, he is blessed, specifically in a passage we're about to read. He's blessed, he is broken. We clearly know that that happens, right? We build Easter around this. He is broken, and then he is, he's given, sent or given, right? For the Christian, Henry Nouwen has written a book that we as our staff have really ingested, and last year, about halfway through the year, it really changed the way I view my whole Christian life. For the Christian, we are called to become this bread. We are called to be chosen. We are called to be blessed. We are called to be broken, and we are called to be given. This is the process of becoming the beloved, being the beloved. The problem with that is that most of us do not believe we are the beloved. And I don't have to find three of you that don't believe it. I can just look in the mirror at everything that I believe about myself every day. I do not walk in my chosenness, my blessedness. I would rather hear from the world how it views my successes and failures, and then I encapsulate over myself the identity that the world gives me, and I'm fine with it, and I move on. He's calling us to something deeper. He's calling you to something deeper that reframes the whole way to be alive. I want you to watch a quick video. Again, I never play videos. Um, I don't know why, but there's a book that I just started reading, and the book is called barking at the choir, and it's by a guy named Father Greg Boyle, who leads an organization in Los Angeles called Homeboy Ministries. Now, it's kind of a dichotomy, it's it's interesting, but about 30 years ago he came up with this motto that the best way to stop a bullet is with a job instead of incarceration. And so he spent his life for the past 30 years basically loving gang members so well that they start to have a common interest built around a goal And instead of trying to defuse the fights between the gangs, he gave them a common goal, which was a job. He started Homeboy Industries, which is now the number one gang intervention program in America. And he's seeing people become free because they have purpose. This is If anybody wants to read this book with me, I highly do it. I would love to just talk with you about it. It'll break your heart. It'll open your eyes to what compassion truly is, the heart of Jesus. But watch this video. I think it speaks of something I'm trying to tell you.
3: I'll admit there are some homies you look at and think to yourself, yeah, I'm not so sure this guy will ever be able to turn the ship around. You don't admit this to anyone though. You keep it to yourself and hope that everyone, anyone can alter course. People always surprise you. Johnny was such a kid. I met him when he was 15, but never in my office. He never wanted to be seen there. I'd catch him in the alley where his homies would gather. He was way tougher than someone his age ought to be. He had certainly put in work for his neighborhood, stuff that eventually landed him in juvenile hall, then probation camp, then youth authority, and finally prison. He walked out of there at 20 years old, yet still refused to set foot into homeboy. But it takes what it takes. Johnny found himself tending to his mother, who was struck with pancreatic cancer. In the last six months of her life, I'd visit and watch how tenderly Johnny would attend to her every need. When she died, I buried her. A week later, Johnny walked into Homeboy Industries. Four months into his stay with us as a trainee, he wanders into my office to talk. What happened to me yesterday, he begins, has never happened to me in my life. He tells me that he was riding the L.A. Metro Gold Line train, which he caught at the Chinatown station, heading east after his day's work. Standing in front of him, hanging on the pole, was a gang member, a little older than Johnny, but with tattoos and medio pedo, a little bit drunk. Johnny was wearing a homeboy T-shirt with the insignia and slogan, Jobs Not Jails. The homie, still a little wobbly, looked closely at the shirt, then at Johnny. You worked there? He asked. Johnny, initially hesitant to engage the guy, nodded. It any good? The guy fired back. Not belligerent, just persistent. Johnny shrugged. Well, it's helped me. I don't think I'll ever go back to prison because of this place, tapping the front of his shirt as he said it. He fished a clean piece of paper from his pocket and located a pen from another. He wrote down the homeboy address. He tells me, I couldn't believe I knew it by heart. Johnny handed the note to the man. Come see us, he said. We'll help you. The guy hanging on the pole studied the piece of paper. Thank you, he quietly replied. The train arrived at its next stop. And the guy got off. Johnny reclaimed his seat and looked around the train. What happens next, he tells me, has never happened to me in my whole life. Everyone on the train was looking at me. Everyone on the train was nodding at me. Everyone on the train was smiling at me. His lip trembles, and a tear escapes. And for the first time in my life, I felt admired.
2: Messes me up. So, so what I love about this story and this ministry is it helps people reclaim and see the worth that is there before they've earned it. But here's my inclination to everyone in this room is that many of you, although you're probably not a gang member, feel the same kind of feelings of not knowing what it is to be blessed, to be beloved, to be wanted. A lot of people actually don't know why they were born. A lot of people's parents have actually said to them, I don't know why you were born. A lot of people walk around their whole lives not truly feeling any sense about you and trying to find it from something and trying to earn it. And that's just the reality of our whole lives. You can pull up Mark chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. But the process of becoming the beloved is something that Jesus had to do, and it's something that we're called to do. In a sense, before I read this, you were already the beloved. Theologically, some of you can argue with me, But I would just say just that you were created in the image of your Father God. You are beloved. You are worth. You have such value. So uniquely different than the person next to you, but not diminishing the person next to you. You are worth. You are valued. You are beloved. But there's also connected to being beloved, there's a part that we have to foster. There's a part of it that doesn't just happen. And if it did, we wouldn't be having these conversations. That's the part. I want to talk to you about today in Mark chapter 1 verses 10 it says and when he came up out of the water after Jesus's baptism immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased this is the voice of God the Father to Jesus right before he sent into the desert to be tempted to be tested and before his ministry, this is what is told to him first. You are beloved before you do anything. And what he's trying to tell you and me and our church, if we're talking about church identity, is you are beloved before you do anything. And your ability to believe that changes everything. If you can believe it, the existence of the rest of your life will be different. If you don't believe it, you'll be tired, especially if you're a Christian, if you don't believe it. You'll work your hardest over the next few years to do something admirable, lead some kind of great ministry, be the boss of something, do something spectacular. You don't have to. You can. You are the beloved. We already are, and we mostly don't believe it. There's a sea of voices opposing this, and it's our world, and it's there. It's interesting. I remember for me, I can... I tried to think this morning, I wanted to talk about some stories, because I like to be extremely transparent about my feelings of being, of choosing to believe the voices that remind me that I'm not beloved. One of the first ones, and one of the most embarrassing ones for me when I was a kid, is when I was growing up, you guys might like my sock? It's pretty cool. I have a birthmark. You know, see my birthmark? Pretty great, right? It's pretty cool when you're a kid having this. People are like, that guy's cool. <laughs> you never get made fun of with one of these when you're a kid. So, literally, for the first 10 years of my life, I hid my birthmark and told people that I had harmed my leg. And I played a lot of sports, so I had to come up with creative ways to do it. Because I was one day on a bus, and one of the kids on the bus said, Hey, there's poo poo on that guy's leg. And I was like, That's not poo poo. That's not poo poo. That's my birthmark. And they were like, Yeah, it's poo poo. And everybody laughed, and it was great. <laughs> that's just one of the stories. It's still a reminder every day. My kids are like, What's on your leg, Daddy? And I was like, It's a birthmark. It's God's promise to me. He loves me. Do you have a birthmark? Evidently not. <laughs> I remember when I started in youth ministry, I was um, very, very, uh, I-, I was very bought into any type of success. And anytime anybody talked to me about success, I was all in. Um, and I remember one day, one of our youth leaders came up to me, and he started uh, just berating me about not having a ministry for the homeless in Atlanta. And I couldn't even do what I was doing correctly. Like, I was, and, but I remember... The amount of shame I felt from hearing that, and he probably had the right heart for ministry God was calling him to without wisdom. A lot of times we have no wisdom in something God's telling us, and we just harm everybody around us. It broke me. It broke me to pieces. I I couldn't reconcile the fact that I was in ministry, and people in ministry would think that I wasn't good at it. And it was because I cared more about what people thought than God. I didn't know that then. It broke me, shattered me. I I believed that lie for a long time. We actually we were robbed of a beautiful vacation that weekend because we went to Savannah, and I could not come out of the hotel room because I was mourning. I don't even know what I was mourning. It was, so, it was such heavy brokenness that I would not be good at ministry. This is what God's called me to do, but I was looking at the wrong thing. I was allowing even the Christian world to tell me who I was, <laughs> that my worth came in whether or not this person believed that I was doing what I should be doing. Your worth doesn't come from the person next to you. It doesn't come from their opinion. And sometimes their opinion's great. I had people walk up to me when I was the youth pastor first year and tell me, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. You preach meat, and the world needs meat. The pastor here, he doesn't preach meat. I was like, I do preach meat. That's really good of you to say that to me. I must be really good at this, right? It's the same thing on the reverse, right? It's it's if we believe these exterior voices, we're either going to self-hate or we're going to be arrogant. Both are bait. It's not the truth. My worth has nothing to do with how good my messages will be. My worth has nothing to do with a kid on a bus talking about my cool birthmark, which is amazing. My worth has nothing to do with a youth leader telling me they thought I was doing the wrong thing. My worth has nothing to do with a girl in college that decided she didn't want to date me. My worth has nothing to do with dating the best girl in college. Huh? My worth is settled outside of that before any of that was done. And if I choose to believe that I am the beloved, it will alter the course of my life. It will alter the course of your life. You can cease striving, and you can know that he is God. You don't have to perform for him. You don't have to do something great for the world to know. You don't need a stage. Here's to me... What I think he's asking us to do. I think he's whispering to us always. I think I can look back even in those times where the birthmark stories were happening, there were voices, the voices of God, speaking to me through moms, dads, through friends, through movies, through nature, saying, Josh, slow down, sit with me, you are beloved. I can think through the times when I experienced feeling and sensing that I was the beloved. The same voice was happening when those other voices were happening. I don't feel like I probably chose those all the time, but I believe if I could clearly stop and just hear what he was saying on the inner parts of me, I believe it will sound something like this. This is taken from Life of the Beloved, which you should all read. I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am your... I believe this is God speaking into your heart whether you believe it or not. Whether you believe this, this is what he is saying to you. I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine. I am yours. You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with a care more infinite than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you. And wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You will know me as your own, and I as I know you as my own. You belong to me. I am your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your lover, and your spouse. Yes, even your child. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will ever separate us. We are one. This is from Henry Nowen's Life of the Beloved. What I think is interesting about this to me is this past week I I decided, um, well, first of all, Sarah's idea of 12 and the ministries that we're going to be introducing are these ideas of creating space for spiritual formation that have nothing to do with just memorizing something, even though that's not bad. But we went on a men's retreat. Who went on our men's retreat? 12 men's retreat. Raise your hand. All right, so at this men's retreat, it was nothing like the other ones we've done. We went, and we did things like silence and solitude. We told people to go be by yourself. Don't talk to people. Really hard for the extroverts. Actually, one morning, we all went outside. Like, the three introverts of us went outside, and the, the, the extroverts woke up a little later. And I saw an extrovert go to an introvert all at the same time. All three of the introverts were sitting still, and then all the extroverts, like, came near them. It's just the way that we work. But we even challenged the extroverts to go be by yourself. And I was ruined by this. I sat by a river each morning for over two hours by myself and fell in love with Jesus again, and something was awoken in my soul. It was literally like God was raising something out of me that I would have never chosen for myself because then I'm an Enneagram 3, and I like to perform, and I like to achieve things. So I always have a list. I always have something get done, and I can always make something better. At this retreat, it wasn't going to be that way. I sat, I listened to God's creation, which he is doing a pretty good job at. He's pretty good at rivers and trees. He's pretty good at nature. I don't have any idea how to make any of that stuff. I sat there for two hours and was filled, so much so that it created a new craving in me. And this past week, I made a decision that I would go to a cabin by myself in the woods for 24 hours. Sarah's going to do it in two weeks. Um, and I, I was talking to Dr. Karen and Sarah last week, and I was like, I'm about to do this, and I feel something different than I've ever felt. I can't put great words to this, but I felt my soul saying thank you before I went. I felt something inside of me, almost like drinking before I got there. There was like a bubbling anticipation of going to be alone. And I went and sat on a couch at a cabin an hour and a half from here alone, and for the first four hours, I literally just did this. And it was like Jesus was like just pouring buckets of love into me. I don't know how to explain that. That sounds crazy. But there's no way to be formed by the Spirit without stepping away from everything. There's no way to be formed into the beloved without stepping out of the nonsense telling you who you are. And I'm thankful that there's been a new craving carved in me. It's a little bit like we all live in a desert, and if I told you to find water that any of you, if you were digging and you found a little bit of water, your dig would get stronger, right? If we were all dying and you had water, you'd dig and dig and dig until you found it, and then you'd drink to your full, Correct. This is what it's like becoming the Beloved. This is what it's like finding the Spirit of God. This is what it's like when He pours into you and it's not you pouring into you. So the first move in becoming the Beloved is being chosen. Everyone say chosen. Chosen. Now, this word to me is problematic because we have an idea of what it means to be chosen that is not the idea of what God calls chosen. So... I would even say there's a pre-wired understanding of chosenness and craving in each of us. This is why things like Marvel magazines are so popular because there's somebody who is the chosen awesome thing doing something awesome. This is why American Idol, Voice, I haven't even seen Four yet, but I think there's the one called Four, Uh, The Bachelorette, The Bachelor, The Bachelor and Bachelorette, The Bachelorette's Bachelor. All of these shows are geared around whittling it down to one selected idol right this is because in us when we see chosenness when we see selectedness our hearts long so deeply for that our hearts want that so bad that we'll watch 12 bad episodes of a show to get to one good singer I mean I even looking around this room like is James here? Like, James made top 100 on voice. If I, had, if I made top 100 on voice, I would, I would always wear that T-shirt. <laughs> you would always know it. I would start every sermon with a song. Like, that's amazing, right? That's amazing. But all of us, so you, I don't have to prove to you that being chosen is great. When you're growing up, most of the memories of, that were the most awful for you were the ones where you weren't chosen. The worst day in life is when kickball happens when you're in elementary school, and they pick two captains. You're like, freak, I'm just going to go over here. And you hope you're not the last one, and you, all of us are always the last one. I don't know how that works out in the story. I mean, we have a basketball team at RCC, and we still pick like that in the mornings. I don't know why we do this. Like, we're going to pick two captains, and I'm, I'm not picked last only because I'm the pastor, I think, but I'm fairly certain I'll be picked last. It feels awful even there <laughs> to not be chosen first, to be second. It's never that we wanna celebrate that person chosen first. We don't understand the godly understanding of this. We just wonder, why am I second, right? You serious? All these things in us, right? And so when we think of the word chosen, we we frame it like the world frames it. There has to be a loser if there's a winner. If someone's chosen, someone is not, right? It's, It's a competitive form of choosing that excludes people. You'll be the best, and then there's these others, right? And the best telling the others, you guys were almost good enough, that doesn't really ever work, right? That doesn't ever really feel great to be second, right? What do we call second? We all already know that. The second's the first loser, right? And that's probably pretty real. But here's, here's, what, I want, here's what I want to propose to you. Here's what I want to propose to you about your chosenness. God doesn't choose like us. We have to reframe it in the way that he would do it. He chooses based out of compassion and uniqueness. And his choosing never excludes another. While choosing you, he is also fully choosing the person next to you. And not only is he choosing, but he already knows every bit of of, of what's about you. He created you. He formed you. He already knows what's special about Brad. He already knows what's special about Aunt and Austin. He doesn't have to say, Austin, I've seen you play softball, and Josh is, is... insanely more talented at you than softball. He would never have to say that to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, Austin beats me at kindness all day long. He doesn't do that, right? He doesn't do that. He notices in each of us these things that he put there that are extremely unique and are extremely selectable, and he celebrates those things before anything else, not in opposition to someone else's. We all have been gifted by God. We are all called by God. We are all beautiful in his sight. It's a little bit, I I have a hard time understanding the love of God, how he loves us so fully. Because he loves everybody, but it's because I understand it in our frame. He loves you the fullest that you'll ever be loved. If you truly understand that you are beloved, and that you are his beloved, and that his favor rests on you, your whole life will change like that. Now it's a battle, but everything will be framed differently. When the apple comes for performance, that you have to do this better to be better, you won't bite anymore. When someone comes along, every day we fight with it. Somebody looks at you differently. You're at a 12 group or a life, life group and somebody doesn't talk to you. Why didn't they talk to me? They must not like me. Every day we have the choice to hear our voice of selectiveness or the voice of the enemy in this world telling us we aren't worthy, we're not worth it, there's nothing unique about you, you're so vanilla, you can't sing like James, da-da-da-da-da, all these things, right? So what I want to ask, I guess, for you guys to do, right, is reclaim chosen, starting with you. Don't allow the world to tell you what chosen is. Here's what's really big about this. We have to be chosen and receive it in that order to walk this out. Or it's going to get nasty on the other side. But the best part of that is as you start to believe in the chosenness and that you are the beloved that he has for you, you start to see that in other people. The people that are most difficult for you to be around that tap into the most deep, hard pains in your life. The ones that remind you of how unchosen you are. Here's how you know if you're walking in chosenness. Are you always feeling like you're angry at others? Are you always envious? Are you, you're noticing the brokenness in others instead of nos- noticing the chosenness of others. I'm so guilty of this. I'm so guilty of when someone's upset at me, of trying to blame them for something. But when we walk in our chosenness, knowing that no one can take that from God for you, it's him to you, and it's in that order, if you walk in that, you start to see it even in the most annoying people. Even in the most difficult people, you can sit across from someone and celebrate the part of them that God says, yes, which is them holy, the whole them, all of us. That's us being broken and given to the world, is to be the voice of Jesus calling out in others their chosenness instead of reminding them of what they already fight their whole lives for, their brokenness. We are all broken. We are all in need of a Savior. We are all hurting. The last thing we all need is to be reminded of it. But those of us who have this, the creative skill set to say to someone, "Kale, you are such an awesome guy. I like hanging out with you. I like being near you. You, you inspire me to woodwork. I don't even know how to do it. All of us, we have that, that gift and ability to look at Alita and say, Alita, you have the heart of a pastor. You, you probably are spiritually a pastor. I don't know. You, you've, you've been gifted to love others well. I see it in you. Look around, Stephen, like it's so easy, right? Like you're so gifted by God to lead worship, the heart for ministry. Every person in this room has a list of things that God has given them that are celebratable. Most of us don't walk in them. Let's become the community that walks as a chosen community speaking that into other people instead of reminding someone that just loses their job or reminding the addict of how stupid they are for being an addict, right? Right? I was an addict. The voices that got me out of it were not the ones that told me how stupid I was for being an addict. They were, they were the ones that looked underneath the brokenness at the thing that said, Josh, you're worthless, and started speaking worth into my life, so much so that I had something to stand on, get above water, and get forward. We have to become the voice that speaks the worth that people don't speak to themselves. That is our calling. The song that's recently been on my heart all the time, is he's my favorite worship leader, other than James and Julia and everybody else that worship leads here, like Becca, all these guys, for sure. <laughs> so Corey Asbury came out with his new album this past weekend. You should all listen to it. It's great. But the song that he wrote, Reckless Love, right, like it's pretty much everybody's heard. Raise your hand if you heard this song. So we, we love singing this song in the perspective um, of this is God, and we even struggle with This is God coming out of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, right? And stop cleaning up that lyric, reckless. Just let it be, right? Some, sometimes poetry is better than just, well, it needs to be uh, not a sloppy white kiss, but uh, like a wholesome kiss. Just stop. Just let it be what it is. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. When I read that about God, it, there is a thing in me that's like, yes. If that's the Jesus that we're going after, then let's all get in line and go after it. I love that part of it, and we have to sink into that. The part of it that we have to get is that people, and we're not Jesus, and you're not God. But we are created in his image. We are called to be like him. We are called to be little Christ is the actual definition. What if people said about you, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of Sarah. Oh, she chases me down. She fights till I'm found. She'll leave the 99. I couldn't earn it. I definitely don't deserve it. Still, she gave herself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of Sarah. Could that be said about us? I'm not asking you because I've got this thing. It's not. I'm saying, can it be, please, Jesus? Can we be the people that go after the people that sing this song and hear it? And they're like, yes, if that's Jesus, that's supposed to be us. We're the bread broken for the world to go after these people. That is us to people who don't know it. These are not people who already get it, who have passed all the tests, who are in our little circle of understanding. These are people outside the lines that we go after recklessly loving people into the kingdom of God because he does it differently than people deserving it or not. It's undeserved. They couldn't earn it. That is the call of the gospel. That is being chosen. It isn't about deserved because all of you have something in your flesh you are really good at. But none of you are as good as Jesus at getting this for us. It must be Him, and He says to us, "Via the Father, you are My beloved, whom My favor rests." That is now. That is not in a year. So, what are some quick steps? I don't know where you're at on time. Our clock broke. Eleven forty-two. All right. Quick steps: becoming the beloved, unmask the world, unmask the world. If you feel in you something happened when something said to you or you read something, you're on Facebook and you feel shame and you feel worthless and that mom created 11 dinners for her kid one night and built her outfit out of yarn and hemp, maybe don't bite. Maybe say, that's awesome that that person did that and just move on, right? The second thing, look for people in places that remind you of these truths and not the opposites. Churches should be doing this, Right? we got to be in the spaces that do this. Thirdly, celebrate your chosenness. Next time somebody gives you a compliment, don't be like, oh, (laughs) don't say that. Say, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Do that. Somebody says, Julie, you are amazing. Thank you. She said thank you. (laughs) Casey, Casey, you are an awesome guy. I like hanging out with you. You're welcome. Celebrate when someone celebrates you instead of skipping over it to the other stuff that's not the truth. Celebrate the truth about you that is the blessedness. Celebrate when someone... Compliment someone today. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. If your hand's raised, you have to compliment someone today. Amen. All right. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do communion, and we're going to actually... Push pots to next week. You can begin praying about them. Um, It's not going to change anything. But take these with you. Pots are our prayers of the season. They are, as a church, what we collectively pray into. And next week we're also going to celebrate a little bit of what what we've seen God do. I'm sorry. I went long today. I felt like I was supposed to do this. I'm actually not too sorry. But um, Sarah's going to come up, and she's going to lead us for the next four weeks in the Eucharist communion. And as you do this... Notice what you're doing, right? As you walk over, notice you are picking up and choosing a piece of bread, right? Break it. It's blessed. Receive it. Does that make sense? Absorb this as, the, as unto worship. Let this be more than just, right, let's just get a cracker. Let's put it in here. Let's eat it. Num num. Let's not do that. Like, be in it. Understand what the Lord is trying to speak to you about your blessedness. Don't let this go over your head. So, Father, I just pray right now that as your people, the people of God, holy and dearly loved, that you would unravel us with your blessedness. Allow us to say yes to the truth and no to the lie. Allow us to see it clearly. When the world tells us the things that are not truths, help us to distance ourselves from them and lock into the truth. We are your beloved in whom you are well pleased. Your favor rests on us. Amen. So, Father, I just, I, thank you for, I just thank you for these people. They're each so unique and beautiful. Help them to take that, that attitude and idea of blessedness to the, to the Smyrna city limits and to Marietta and to all over this area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at RiverCitySmyrna.com.